All right, so we're going to go through a story with Elijah this morning, and there's some really good uh, stuff in here for us. As, oops, sorry, that was loud. As we walk uh, in our, our daily Christian lives. And so, who is Elijah, right? Um, we know he's a prophet of God. We know, I'm going to take these off till I read. Um, we know that he uh, just kind of burst on the scene in chapter 17. So, we're reading through the Old Testament this year. And it's almost the end of September, so we only have a few months left, and we're going to, if you've been doing it with us, we're going to have read through the Old Testament this year, which is really cool. And if you want to catch up or if you just want to start with where we are, we have the Dwell app, which is also available on our website, and you can listen to it audibly if it's easier and less time than you reading it yourself. So the passages that we're reading now are in 1 Kings, and um, Ernesto chose Elijah for today. So... Uh, first, just real quick, we're also making this our service slash the online service. So online people, hello. Um, Ernesto is in Texas this week. He'll be back next week. Um, so um, just wanted to say hello and welcome them to the service. So with Elijah, um, some background. Like he just burst onto the scene in chapter 17. Literally it says, God tells Elijah, go talk to King Ahab. And that's... We only get a couple pieces of information on them. So, Brennan, if you'll put that map up. Um, I did a map so we can just have a little fun as we're walking through this today. And if you look to the lower right, about middle right, you see Tishbe. That is where Elijah's from. It's Elijah from Tishbe. So he would be a Tishbite, right? And then just below that, you see the brook Cherith, which we're going to talk about here in a second. So we know where Elijah's from. And we know what his name means. His name means Jehovah is my God. Okay? It's a pretty meaningful name. So I don't think it's a far stretch for me to say that his parents probably loved the Lord and probably feared the Lord and probably were, were trying to do what has been taught for them to do and follow God, uh, to name their child something that means Jehovah is my God. God, right? So this is kind of what we know about Elijah, and, and, and we burst in. But he's also going to go talk to King Ahab. So this is some kings after Solomon has died. And if you've been reading through, as it starts going through these kings, there's a recurring theme that keeps being said, which is that this king did evil in the sight of the Lord more than any other king. So what's happening is, Israel is going farther and farther away from God. And Ahab takes it a little step further because what he does is he goes and he marries. It's harder to see on this one, but up on the very top, it's uh, Sidon. He goes and marries Jezebel from Sidon, from a Sidonian. And when she comes and moves back into Israel, she brings her prophets and she brings her God little god, false god, Baal. And literally she runs all of the prophets out of town and sets up all these altars everywhere. So this is kind of where we're walking into the story. So I just wanted to give you some, some background to that. And in verse or chapter 17, which we're not covering today, Elijah is told, go tell King Ahab, there's going to be no rain or no dew 
for three years. And he goes and tells them that. And then God tells him, hey, go hang out at the brook Cherith. So you can see it on the map there. Sorry, online. Um, it's not there. But he, he goes and hangs out there. And he has the water to drink from the brook. And God literally sends crows twice a day, in the morning and at night, with bread and meat to sustain him while he's there. Right? That's pretty incredible um, to think of God providing for him that way. So the brook dries up. When the brook dries up, God says, okay, I want you to go to the city of Zarephath, which is to the uh, left and up high. Really? In and a part of Sidon, the, the, the Sidonians. It's a city that is full of pagan worship of Baal. And he says, there's going to be a widow there. She's going to take care of you. Doesn't know who she is. He walks into the city, sees a widow, asks her to get some water. Okay? This is starting in chapter 17 now. When she says, okay, and goes do it, he says, also, please bring me something to eat. And she's like, I'm sorry, but I only have enough flour and enough oil to make one more meal, and then my son and I can die. Because that's how bad the famine is, right? And it's going on this long. And so then this is the next way that God provides. Elijah tells her, go ahead and do what you're going to do, but bring me a little first, and you will have this to sustain you until the rain comes. And that's what happens. So there's another little miracle. So think of Elijah here. Think of the trust that, that he has in God to go and stay at a brook, no home. He's not at the Ritz-Carlton. He's at a brook, and ravens are bringing him his food and his water. And then he goes to a widow who has literally barely even a meal left, and God continues to provide. Um, it's, it's just incredible. And, it, and you got to see that Elijah's just got to be building more and more trust with God through this, right? Like, man, he, now he's doing this, now he's doing this. So that goes on for about three years. And God says, okay, go talk to Ahab. And so now it's time. And that's where we start picking up where uh, Cullen read so well for us. And now is where I need my glasses. It sucks getting old. <laughs> So, we're going to start in verse 20. Um, so, Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered them, the prophets, together at Mount Carmel. We still have the map up? Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm preaching. Um, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Um, I've read through this many times, and every time, this is the verse that I keep coming back to. This verse is really the crux of the whole thing of what he's trying to get Israel to see and understand when he says this to them. Um, Brennan, will you put the map up just for one quick second, and then I'll be done with it. Just below Zarephath, you see Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel's kind of neutral ground between Baal and God's area, God's land, right? The promised land. So there's some neat things that have developed here. First, Baal is known as the god of fertility, okay? And he's also known as their sun god. So as the god of fertility, 
that mountain area was one of the most uh, rich areas to grow, to have vineyards, everything. And God decided to pull what this God should be providing to the people of Israel, right? They've stopped praying to him and worshiping God, and they're worshiping Baal, and, but there's no rain, no water, no crops. Everything's dying. So it's interesting that God chooses that. But then he also chooses a neutral territory. So it's, it's like, okay, let's come together right here, and we'll see which God is the true God, right? So reading on in verse 21, if the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men to one. How many people would pick a fight by themselves with 450 people? Like, he, his faith in God, his trust in God, I want, it, it had to be just so strong to do this. 450 people, right? Let the two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire... He is God. The other thing that Baal was, he was their sun god. So he should be able to produce fire, right? He should be able to shoot a lightning bolt down, light it up. So the other thing, 450 men to one. I just, wow, he picks a fight. Um, <laughs> so all the people, after they heard this, they said, okay, let's do this. Now, he lets them go first, right? And I don't know if you understand the meaning, but let me share it. If Baal brings fire, it's over, right? It's whichever God brings fire. And he says, go first, right? Pretty, pretty good confidence in what the Lord's going to do here. Verse 25. Then Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many. I'm like, should be easy for you guys, 450 people. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them, 26, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Now, I think it's on purpose that the writer here, in verse 21, he asks, and Brennan, if you can put the question up, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Meaning, doing this this way, it's hurting you, right? And then when he's talking about these prophets, he's talking about them limping around the altar to try to get fire, to get Baal to bring fire. Same kind of thing, like it's... it's this isn't helping you to do this, to limp around. Um, so at noon, verse 27, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or is he is relieving himself. Like, hey, yeah, he might be doing number two, you know? Like, 
one guy against 450, and this is what he's saying to 450 people that are doing everything they can to bring fire. It, it's, it's hilarious, right? So, or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Like, like where is he, guys? You're many. This should be easy. Why is there no fire? So then they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time that it was, their time was up. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Like, us reading this, like, we're not surprised, right? Like, we're not surprised. But imagine all those people in Israel. Like, they had switched and they had been doing all of this worship to Baal. And they're sitting there and they're watching and nothing's happening. So then we get to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the, Lord, the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. Right? Jacob wrestled with God. Name changed to Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as it would contain two seas of wood. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And then it gets crazy. He says, take four jars of water. We don't need it. There's no famine. Take four jars of water and throw it over the sacrifice. So they do it, right? But he says, no, do it a second time. So the hardest thing you can do to light fire is what? Put water on it? Now water isn't just kind of on it. Now it's drenched and it's soaking and it's starting to hold at the bottom, right? And he has that trench. He says, do it a third time. So this thing is soaked. It's soaked under, above, through, all the way through the moat, completely filled with water. So then we get to verse 35. And the water ran down around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at that time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he reminds all of Israel exactly who the God is that he's praying to. Make no mistake, this is the God that you made covenant with. Right? Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed and burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I like this writer. God consumes everything. Everything's gone. There's no rocks even. The wood's gone. The bowl's gone. His fire consumes everything. So there's, there's no question for the people of Israel to have in their mind. Verse 39, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So we go back to that question in verse 21, which, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? And 
there's things for us to learn both from Elijah through the story, some of the backstory that I said, and from this question, how long? How long are you going to keep looking to other things for the help that you need, for the provision that you need? How long are you going to put other things in front of me, right? Because they'd all switched over to Baal. And in the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people, right? And now we live under the cross, and now anyone who accepts Jesus as their Savior, they're God's chosen people, right? And this question works as well for us today as it did for them back then. You know, an idol got all the way back. Well, let's, let's go back further. In Genesis, God creates man, right? And when he does, he creates a spot in our heart. And it's a spot that he created and intended for God to sit in and for God to be the center of our life. But he gave us free will, right? Free will to accept him. Free will to put what we want in that spot. But God wants to be in that spot. So we see that from creation. So the Lord, he, he wants us to make him the center of his everything, everything that we do. And it brings challenges, like there's challenges that came for it. And one of the things that we get to see from the life of Elijah is he turned to God, right? And there's a point where we all have to do that. So the first challenge is, if you're not looking to God, but yet you've accepted him as your savior, we need to turn to God. And that's the first challenge. Like, it, it's that simple. Elijah, by the time we meet him, he's done this. And God is the center of his life. All his decisions, everything that he does. So the first challenge that I want to put forth, not that I'm daring or anything, but this is something that we need to do in our lives. We need to do, turn ourselves to God in everything that we do. Right? The second challenge that um, Elijah does really well is Elijah puts God first. Like, you don't hear him like some of the other stories in the Old Testament say, but wait a second, I need to do this, but wait, I, I don't speak well enough. I'm not only speaking in front of 450 other prophets, I'm speaking in front of all the nation of Israel, right? He doesn't, you don't hear any of this with Elijah. He just goes and he does it. And that's something that we should challenge ourselves to turn to God in that kind of manner, that we trust him for everything. And it's, it's just a great way to live, and Elijah shows us that. He starts building that trust, right? As we do these things, it builds. Elijah did what God said, and it happened that way. So then he went to the river, and God took care of him. So now there's more trust. So the more that we do this, the more that we learn to lean on God for those situations and in all those bad times. You know, but sometimes we take ourselves and we put ourselves in that seat and we try to take care of it ourselves and we try to do it ourselves instead of turning to God. And it doesn't mean that, like, like, like I said, he didn't stay in the Ritz-Carlton. He, I don't even know if he had a roof over his head. He was by a river. He was being fed out of a crow's mouth, right? I mean, 
Not the nicest of things, but God was with him through it. And that's the key of what we learn from Elijah here. He turned to him. He listened to what he said. He made him the center of his life. And he got to live out those things. And as that happens, through bad times and even through good times, your trust grows. When your trust grows, your faith grows. Right? You, you know, it might not be the great outcome that you want. You might not get to stay in that hotel. But you are going to see that God saw you through that and you're going to come out the other end better and closer to him. So then the third challenge that comes from this is to turn, is that number three? Put number three up, Brennan. Okay. To trust in God like Elijah, right? And that's kind of what we were just talking about. As you go through those steps, you gain more trust and you get closer and you more quickly don't try to do it yourself and put God in that spot in your heart where he needs to be and you start to get that trust growing better and more and stronger. So your best life, like no matter what you think of your life, your best life is mimicking what Elijah did here because you're going to go through life with God and you're going to see him work in your life. You're going to see him work around your life. And you're going to get a little picture of what heaven's like, right? That's, that's the start of it, you know? Uh, silly example, okay? I drive at night. I, I, I have jobs, and I'm dumb, and I like to stay up late at night. So I work at night, and I drive. And it really bothers me when a car just comes up behind me, has its brights on, and it just stays there, and then it finally decides to go around. So what do you do, Right? You bright them back, right? <laughs> you did me, I'm going to do you, right? Well, it wasn't that long ago, and I'm still not perfect with it, but the Lord started putting on my heart, like, that's not the right thing to do, right? And when you start looking at the reasons for me doing that, and you start looking at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, right? There's not much love in me doing that. There's not much joy. There's not much peace. Um, long-suffering, I think I blew that one, right? Not being very meek, right? So, and I know it's a silly example, but and it's because I'm just going on my own, you know? So I started praying about it, started being intentional about it, getting closer to God with it and saying, look, please help me with this. And then as I start going to reach for the blinker, it says, hey, you don't need to do that, Right? And now I have to choose if I'm going to not listen and turn on the brights or not, right? So I'm doing way better with it. Not all the way there, but I'm doing way better. But it's, it's just an example. When you're doing those things, when, you're, when God's the center of that instead of me the center of that, I'm probably going to fail. Over and over, I'm probably going to fail. But when God's at the center of it, there's going to be that moment where you're going to hear, you're going to have to choose to listen but you're going to hear, hey, don't do it. Sometimes I get my hand on it, and I don't, I don't click it, you know? So, silly example, but I, just, I wanted to kind of show a little bit what that really means like and what it looks like. If you're in this word, and you know what God wants you to do, and you're praying, you're putting God 
in the place that he wants to be. And you still have to choose to listen. But you're going to hear him speak, and then you're going to have the opportunity to listen. You know? So I just wanted to challenge us all with those three things today, you know, to turn to God if, you know, maybe things are going really good and you just kind of take the hand off the wheel and you just start cruising on your own and you start looking and, and realizing, hey, like, maybe I need to get back in this or something bad happens. Like, what happens when something bad happens, right? Immediately, Lord, help me, right? 9-11, I'm 54. Well, I'll be 54 this month. And 9-11 happened, and the first time in my whole life, there's an immediate national day of prayer at 1 o'clock. doesn't matter what religion you are. Find a church, go in and pray. I was in a Catholic church at 1 o'clock that day. You know? That's when we turn to. But if we do it all the time, our life's going to be the best life that we can live. You know? So, all right. That's what I got. And let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example that Elijah sets, Lord. Lord, he's one of two men that you took up to heaven in their bodily form, Elijah and Enoch. Lord, his faith in you was strong. His trust in you was strong, Lord. And it's a challenge to us today to copy that, Lord, and to look to you for everything. Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Lord, it, it tells us to turn to you that our ways don't work and to turn to you, Lord, and to, to follow what you have, Lord. And I, I pray that this will be on everyone's heart today, Lord, and that we'll all work on this, Lord, and draw closer to you, Lord. And thank you for showing that to us this morning. I ask this in your sweet and precious name. Amen.